0: We've been studying the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings, and we are nearing the end as we finish Mark chapter 15 today. And uh, if you'd like a sermon outline or borrow one of our Bibles, just raise your hand. Our I sure would be happy to help you. Until we got to chapter 14 of uh, Mark, Mark has sped along pretty quickly looking at some of the main events of the life of Jesus. It's the shortest gospel. But when he begins the last week of Jesus' life in chapter 14, he slows way down. Mark's pace slows down even further when we get to the last day of Jesus' life on earth. And in these final paragraphs we're looking at, Mark is leaving us with the content of the gospel, spelled out by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is three elements. Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and on the third day, he rose again. Last time, we looked at the extraordinary events surrounding the death of Jesus, today, Mark continues to slow way down as we look at the burial of Jesus. If you want to follow along as I read, we'll be in Mark 15, beginning in verse 39. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mark helps us to understand that the burial of Jesus is is significant for two reasons. uh, And both have to do with the gospel. First, the people who were there and why. And second, the people who were changed and why. We'll look at those two things today. First, the people who were there and why. It's very interesting. Mark wants us to see that the death of Jesus brought three very diverse classes of people together. The Roman centurion, a pagan. The women who were followers of Jesus. And Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy, prominent Pharisee, part of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the ruling class in in Israel. The death of Jesus brought these people together, and they all had a positive response to the death of Jesus. We mentioned the centurion last time. He's mentioned again today. First, in verse 39, we looked at last time, he declared that Jesus was the Son of God when he saw how he died. We talked about that last time. We see him again today certifying to Pilate that he actually was dead. Then we see the women. Who were devoted followers of Jesus, present at Jesus' death in order to make sure his body was taken care of properly. Here's a question Where are all the male disciples? When you get to the climactic event of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, all the male disciples vanish. They're not around. The only followers of Jesus who are with him through all those things were his female followers. Only the women were there when Jesus died, verse 40. Only the women saw where Jesus was buried, verse 47. And the women were the first to see Jesus resurrected, 16, verse 1. The men disappear and the women dominate the last part of the the gospel narrative. Mark is making a very strong point about the power of the gospel here. Don't miss it. Both Jewish and Roman cultures of the day, women had no legal status whatsoever. Their evidence could never be brought into a court of law. Why? Because at that time, there was a universal understanding across all cultures in the world that women were inferior and unreliable. Yet in spite of this, listen to me. In spite of that, the most crucial moment in the history of salvation, God trusts a group of women with the whole story. The lifeline and content of the gospel. Nobody else knows what's going on. Only the women are initially shown what God is up to. For decades, the only witnesses who could say, I saw Jesus die. I saw where he was buried, and I saw the resurrected Jesus were women. God makes women his witnesses at a time in history when no other culture would have trusted them with that important job. What does that mean? That God was ahead of his time? No. God was showing them and us the power of the gospel. Because of the gospel, God was taking people, and this is what I want to show you, he's taking people who were considered outsiders in their culture and bringing them in to God's kingdom culture. That's what the gospel will do. Outsiders can come in. And as we'll see next, because of the gospel, God was also taking people who were considered insiders in their culture and bringing them outside in order for them to enter God's kingdom. Let's look at it. Let's look at how God brought the cultural insiders, those in circles of power, brought them outside in order to bring them into the kingdom of Christ. These are the people who were changed by the death of Jesus. We've already looked at the centurion. He was an insider of the Roman power structure. He was brought outside of that power structure at the death of Jesus when against all his pride and strength. And power. he humbly bowed to acknowledge that he was convinced that Jesus was the Son of God and said so. But then we also see that God brought out Joseph of Arimathea, who's an insider, uh, culturally, ethnically, religiously, politically in Jerusalem. the complete opposite of the Centurion, but who was also an insider in the power structure in Israel, religious power structure. And the text says that Joseph was prominent. That meant he had power. He had authority. He had a reputation. And we learn from Matthew's gospel that Joseph was rich, very wealthy. And we learn from John's gospel that he was also a friend of Nicodemus who was also a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Israel. Now John, his gospel tells us that Joseph and Nicodemus went together to get Jesus' body. I'll read it, John 19, 38-40. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, For fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 100 pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bounded in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. What's interesting to see here is that the marginalized women, the prominent rulers, and the centurion are all together in the same passage. The death of Jesus brought them together. The death of Jesus led the prominent, wealthy Joseph of Arimathea to do something completely unexpected. And it shows us the profound change that the death of Jesus in the gospel can bring to a person's heart, can bring the insiders out so that they might come into the kingdom of God. The text says in Mark 15, 43, Joseph went boldly. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom, went boldly. (laughs) Don't miss this. Went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. (laughs) Joseph and Nicodemus got a courage they did not have before. It took great courage to ask for Jesus' body. Why? The Romans had just tried and executed Jesus for high treason. (laughs) The Jewish Sanhedrin just found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. Both power structures are... Absolutely, thinking Jesus as an enemy, it took courage to go identify with him and want to want to take his body. Now Joseph and Nicodemus, members of the Sanhedrin, for the first time, for the first time, are willing to say out loud what they've been saying in secret. John says Joseph and Nicodemus were secret followers of Jesus. Read it already, there these things Joseph being a disciple, but a secret one. They liked Jesus, they followed Jesus, they believed in Jesus, but they didn't want anybody to know. They wanted to stay safe inside, inside the culture where they had the wealth, the power, the influence, the approval of all their friends. That's an insider. But now, when it's really risky, they're willing to risk everything to bury him, identifying with him publicly to show they are sympathizers of Jesus to Roman and Jewish establishments, power structures. I can't tell you, this is very risky for them. They boldly came And asked Pilate for the body of Jesus after certifying Jesus was dead, and Pilate gave it to him. They took down Jesus' body from the cross, and the death of Jesus brought these insiders out of their pride, power, comfort in the safe zone of their life into the kingdom of Christ. Their attitude towards their own status and power changed. At the death of Jesus, it changed. It changed them. That's what his death will do. Before this, you see, their power, their money, their status wasn't something they had. It was something they were. (laughs) That was their identity. If I have all this, well, then I'm good. I'm approved. I'll feel good about myself. Won't have to risk anything. But now, Joseph and Nicodemus are using their power and influence as members of the Sanhedrin to get Jesus' body and to do right by Jesus. They're risking everything to do it. That means something's going on here. As they have understood what has happened here, something's going on. They don't have the same priorities they had before Jesus died. They haven't, they, they're experiencing identity shift. Something just became more important to them than holding on to their power and stuff. Something. They were willing to become outsiders in the culture in order to identify with Jesus. Not only were the insiders, Joseph and Nicodemus, becoming bolder, they're also becoming more humble and generous. They're not only getting stronger in their courage, they're getting weaker by not holding on to their pride. What are they doing? They're using their wealth, their influence to protect Jesus' dignity. It wasn't normal for a crucified criminal to get any kind of honor or burial. They were just thrown in a pit to bodies. In an act of generosity, verse 46, Joseph purchased linen cloth wrapped Jesus' body in it, and placed it in the tomb out of the rock. Now, in ancient times in Palestine, there was a traditional procedure followed when a loved one died and was buried. First, they took the body and they washed the body. Then they anointed the body with spices. This isn't the same as the Egyptians who embalmed the body. These were Spices, the Jews anointed the body as a simple act of love. It was the final act of devotion given to a loved one. And Joseph and Nicodemus did it. I got to tell you, to wash the body after what Jesus was through was a dirty stomach churning. probably traumatic, awful job. In that society, it wasn't something prominent men would do. It was something given to women and slaves to do. Joseph and Nicodemus are having none of that. They're going to do it. Here are Joseph and Nicodemus washing and wrapping Jesus' body. Why didn't the women do it? They're there. If they had been like other men in Judea, they would have asked them to do it. They're, they're doing something extremely culturally inappropriate. You know what they're doing? They're not trying to preserve their power and position. They're giving it up for Jesus' sake. Giving it up. Think about it. That's what they're doing. And in doing so, they're identifying with God's kingdom. After anointing the body with spices and perfumes, they wrapped it in a linen cloth, and because it was the Sabbath, they didn't finish uh, the anointing. That's why the women came back the next morning to finish the job and encountered a big surprise. Well, that's another part. Joseph and Nicodemus are becoming the kind of people that the world needs to be agents of change for the gospel. That's our challenge. Bolder in their faith, weaker in their pride. That's really the signature over their lives. If you remember in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night so people would know. His power and status were too important to him. That was his identity. And Jesus told this prominent ruler in the Sanhedrin that he must be born again in order to enter God's kingdom. Look, to hear, for him to hear that was radical. Uh, he's talking to a Pharisee, a prominent Religious man who knows the scriptures backwards and forwards. He's extremely religious in following all the rules set out for them to be a devout Jew. And Jesus is saying he has to go back and start at zero. Born again. So far, what Jesus is saying, so far you've done nothing of value in in God's kingdom? Nothing. See, it doesn't matter if you're a wealthy, prominent person in society or a poor beggar on the street. The gospel is the same news for all of us. What Jesus has done for us makes it possible to have a new life and a personal relationship with God. And... Jesus told Nicodemus what he had to do to be born again, to start from zero when it comes to God's kingdom. I'll read a small portion of it. John 3, 15 to 17, he goes back and pulls something Nicodemus would have been very familiar with in Exodus. And he says to him, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever, here it is again, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God didn't send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The burial of Jesus is significant. It's speaking so much to us about the power of the gospel. Joseph and Nicodemus took Jesus' body down. But at some point, they also took Jesus into their hearts and risked everything for their faith in him. This is a kind of paradigm for all of us. Would that we would gather up the courage to openly publicly express our faith in Jesus even when it risks our power, position, status and wealth. Coming to faith in Jesus and being born again doesn't just make you happy, it changes you from the inside out. I didn't believe in Jesus because he's going to make me happy. I knew I needed a savior. I was a sinner, involved in all kinds of miserable, awful stuff. I wasn't happy, but I didn't believe in him to be happy. I needed a Savior. And I can tell you today, when I believed in Jesus 50 years ago, I'm not the same person. I was. Right after I believed, certain changes immediately started to happen in my life. I'm not going to go through it all. You've heard my testimony before. Just to say... When we believe in Jesus, some things will change right away. We get it. Aha! This isn't how you serve Jesus. This isn't reflective of my faith in him. And we need to change. And it starts inside. We get it. But that's only the beginning. We're going to spend the rest of our lives... Working out our salvation in Jesus one step at a time. Transforming us from the inside out. It doesn't stop. Once you come to faith, I don't want to go on another sermon, but why would Joseph and Nicodemus, who had lived in fear, and now boldly come out and identify with Jesus? See, here's the ironic thing about the the Christian life. <clears throat> I'm sure some of you can relate to this. I know I can because this is why I'm sh- sharing this. The ironic thing in the Christian life is most of the time, our spiritual growth, these spiritual growth spurts, happen when trauma hits our life. Something awful. They're connected to these adversities. You see, for Joseph and Nicodemus, I think it was probably seeing Jesus delivered over to die by the Sanhedrin that they were part of. It was seeing him tortured, mocked, humiliated, crucified for their sins. It did something profound inside them. They were not the same. And that should be true for all who believe in him. We're not the same. If it's really, if we really get it, what's happened there to Jesus at his death. It begins for all of us with the message of the gospel. To believe and internalize the truths that we see there. And the gospel reveals the truth about Jesus and the truth about us. We are so bad that our only hope is that Jesus had to die for us. That's it. That's how bad we are. And that second part, Jesus loved us so much, he was glad to die for you. And those who believe in Jesus not only become a new person, they become part of a new community. The family of God, the church. So I leave you with this. Will you help change the world one heart at a time? Begins when you believe in Jesus, who died for you to give you the gift of eternal life, and then continues. See, continues to change you from the inside out and give you a boldness to testify to him, identify with him for those who don't know him. This is going to end our study of Mark's gospel for a while. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of the gospel that you've revealed to us that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead three days later so that now all who believe in him will not come into judgment, your judgment, but will pass from death to life. Would you help us to see what Jesus did for us? Help us to internalize that in the deepest part of our being, and let it humble us and give us the courage to boldly identify with Jesus, who loved us to the utmost. I pray in his name. Amen.